my brief friend here was to go deep into God's word to encourage and equip key pastors in the Vishnavani Church in India. And I'd already done some preparation on Joseph's story for a similar invitation to China a couple of years ago, but that door closed because of the growing persecution. But I'd preached the sermon series here last year and was more than happy to extend and adapt those notes to help them understand how the Joseph story points to Christ time and time again. Joseph's story is more than just a good example that we are encouraged to, to follow. Joseph keeps pointing forward to the coming of Christ's grace and his mercy. And as I was reflecting on this and my trip, I came across a verse in James during my quiet time, which I think powerfully gives insight to Joseph's story and the experiences I have. So this morning we're going to apply the words from James, that passage to Joseph's story, the ministry of Vishnavani, and to ourselves. Uh, That photo was taken when we were in the hills uh, overlooking some of the villages that we were visiting, and we went quite a bit higher than that as well in the four-wheel drives. So, the passage. The passage is in James. It's James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. And so how does this apply to Joseph? Well, at the end of Genesis, Joseph is able to look back over 39 years to when he was a teenager and sold into slavery. But as a 17-year-old shepherd boy, he had no administrative skills, no financial ability, and the prospects of him gaining any of those skills was zero. And so God used Joseph's troubles and trials to equip him with the skills he needed to run a country. So first he was sold into slavery to Potiphar's house. Potiphar's house was a big household. It was an estate with land and servants and slaves. And so he learned to administrate that very large house. And when he'd learned all that he could there, God brought another trial into his life. And though innocent, he was thrown into prison. And again, there he learned how to administrate and run a big, large prison. So that by the time he was 30 and stood before Pharaoh and interpreted his dreams and was made prime minister, this 17-year-old shepherd boy was now a 30-year-old man who had all of the skills, all the abilities to administrate the most powerful country of the known world. How did God do that? He did it through the trials and tribulations that came Joseph's way. But more important than administrative skills, Joseph's faith was tested, refined and made strong. And Joseph's confidence in God was so strong that 22 years after being sold into a slavery and he saw his brothers for the first time, instead of lashing out in anger that most people would do, he was able to test them and forgive them, and be reconciled to them. How? Because God used those trials and tribulations to bring Joseph to a place of maturity. 
And we see this very clearly in Genesis 45 from verses 3 to 5. Remember, Joseph knew who the brothers were, but the brothers didn't know who Joseph was. And then in verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer because they were terrified at his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent you ahead of me. See the confidence that Joseph had in God. Why? Because he had been refined and tested over all those years and in prison and in a slave. And this is even more clear at the end of Genesis. After Jacob's died, the brothers had felt that Joseph was just being merciful while Jacob was alive and that they would now be punished. So they throw themselves at the knees of Joseph. And in verse 19, Joseph said, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what has now been done, the saving of many lives. And you see how Joseph encapsulates the words of James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. He is a case study on how he can consider it pure joy all the trials that he faced because it brought him to maturity, completeness, where he lacked nothing. And there's another case study too, not with Joseph, but with the story I heard while I was in India with the Vishnavani Church. Let me tell you the story. Wonderful story, very encouraging. A missionary visited a tribal village a number of times, and a husband and wife showed interest and asked for prayer. A God graciously brought a dramatic healing into the family's life, and they asked for a weekly Bible study in their homes, and not long after, the whole family became Christ followers. However, the rest of the villagers were tremendously upset because this family renounced its ancestor worship and the worship of the spirits of the trees and the animals. And so the village felt that this would bring a curse on them. And so they refused them access to the only water supply in the village, which was a tap down to a bore. The villagers refused to talk to this new Christian family. They refused to invite them to any functions. And they increased the pressure until they ran the family out of town. So the family moved about two or three kilometres further into the hills and they carved out a very simple thatched hut and decided to make a life for themselves there. So how did God use this? It's certainly going to bring those words into focus, isn't it? How could they consider it pure joy when they faced many trials? Before we consider how God used this trial in a wonderful way, this is a good opportunity to ask, well, how did that missionary end up in this isolated village? Well, the Vishnavani ministry, its main focus is on tribal people in isolated hills in India where there is no exposure to the gospel. Tribals, as the name suggests, live subsistence lifestyles in isolated hill regions. They're not part of the Hindu caste system, which makes them Dalits or untouchables. So this sees them at the bottom of the social strata. They are often neglected by mainstream India because they're isolated and because they're not caste. And they have many hurdles when it comes to getting ahead. 
And that's why it was wonderful in that promotional video, we saw that young man who had become a doctor. He was a tribal person who, through Christian influence, had got an education and become a doctor. It's amazing. And while we went to head office in Hyderabad, we met a young man um, who had got a degree in accounting and was helping them in the finances. And he was a tribal man, young man, who had come through that because the faith had come into their village and he was, uh, had those opportunities. So Vishnavani, they start by sending missionaries from the same language group on a, a scouting trip into the hills. And they're looking for isolated villages where there is no Christian work already operating. When they identify five such villages in close proximity, a missionary is allocated to these five villages. The missionary moves in and lives in one of those villages and then sets up this uh, weekly routine. On Sundays, it's time for worship. On a Monday, uh, the missionary has reporting to do. There's a very clear structure of reporting from each sort of missionary up through the system to head office, and they keep very clear accounts. I think they publish a magazine to over, and, and mail out 100,000 uh, monthly glossy magazines updating their supporters around India. Uh, we saw the team in action. It's a lot of stamps to lick. <laughs> and that, that was only one team that was doing this. Uh, so anyway, there's reporting and, and that sort of thing. Now, on the Tuesday, that missionary will go to one village, and there he'll spend time talking to people, getting to know them, offering to pray for people, and encouraging a Bible start, a study to start. And, of course, if a Bible study starts, he'll go there every Monday to run that Bible study, uh, every Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, he'll go to the village, second village he's allocated, Thursday the 3rd, and then the 4th and the 5th on Friday and Saturday. And that's the, the weekly routine of each missionary. Now, when there are 25 converts, 25 people scattered around those five villages, then they start uh, a worship service on a Sunday in one of the villages, and the others travel. Once they get 50 believers, then they're eligible to, to build a church. If you look at the photo on your newsletter at the front, you'll see two buildings I think that's on the left, you'll see an older building. Well, that was the original church that they built just with their own local labour. And then you'll see another church that was built by Vishnavani to provide for them. So the, the church has often started a very simple thatched type dwelling. While we were there, well, just before we arrived, they dedicated their thousandth church across India, which is pretty good going for 30 years. After five years of mission work, the missionary can be ordained as a pastor. And as I mentioned before, Ben and I taught pastors who were local leaders of missionaries as well as development workers. They have a team of people that go around India sharing their vision in churches and to other people to help raise funds. So you may have some questions about how this works. And one of the questions is, do missionaries have families? Yes, most of them do. Some of them are single men, but many have families and their wife and children, they move into the village uh, with their husband and are based there. Who are the missionaries? Well, missionaries are Christians from the tribal churches. So as the gospel goes and a church is established and uh, young men are encouraged in the faith, they, they either put their hand up or the pastor asks them and after a prayerful process, they then become missionaries. And so they speak the language and often have relational connections wider in the tribe. Uh, how are they trained? Well, uh, they go for three-month training at the Learning Resource Centres 
and Ben and I were based at two of those over the two weeks. Three months training, three months under a senior pastor, and then they are given their five villages. Very similar to a YWAM discipleship training school, if you've heard of that. They're three-month DTS and then three-month mission. How do they support themselves? Well, they are funded by Vishnavani Church. These development workers that I mentioned, they raise funds 100% from other Indian folk, not external funds, and that's used to fund each missionary. It's about uh, about $400 per month, New Zealand dollars per month, will keep a missionary and his family in that five-village context plus some um, resources for, for the mission field. Now, much more can be said about that, but that's the outline of, of what they are doing and where we were involved in India. Now, the mission, uh, if we get back to that uh, village um, that had thrown out the family and the Christian family, what, what happened? Well, the, uh, the missionary continued to visit the family that were evicted to encourage them and run a Bible study, but he also stayed in that village and went there once a week. And eventually, another family expressed interest and had a Bible study and became a Christian. And then they got thrown out of the village. And so they moved to this other place where that one Christian family was. So now there were two. And then over a number of years, the missionary's faithfulness and God's grace, that village disappeared. The original village was abandoned because either they had become Christian and got kicked out, or they just decided, actually, there's no one left. <laughs> We're going to move. And so uh, the photograph you see at the moment is the village and one of the first dwellings that was built in this village. It is now a vibrant village that we're able to build, uh, visit and you'll see some of the buildings as the more Christians came and as, uh, you know, I suppose the collective wealth of the village increased, then these are some of the structures that are in this village. So this was just a bare piece of forest before the first Christian family moved in. Now, the government has recognised that. Um, They've named themselves the village of Peter in the local language, named after the Apostle Peter, and all of the other villages around know the story. And so the government's put in a bore. You'll see that at the front. That's That's the water supply for the village, public water supply, and there's a very small school and they um, put concrete roading inside the village. So the local government has supported that move. And pride of place was the church. Uh, That's the church that they built and worship in regularly. Isn't that a wonderful story? You know, you have one Christian family, brand new family, and they are thrown out of the village for their faith. Consider it pure joy when you face many trials, James wrote. And that's the example of this family. And their faith was honed, and not only that, they were an example to other other families that came to Christ, and now that's a, a thriving village. So what about ourselves? What, what about you and I? How can we see this passage in James talk to us? Well, it's God's plan that we grow and mature and we become complete in everything. And wouldn't it be lovely if we could do that comfortably, with no stress, in a nice ordered fashion? But the Bible makes it very clear in our experience that the main way that God brings us to maturity, complete, lacking nothing, is through difficult times, 
through, through trials. It's in the valley experiences that we do most of our growth. Yes, we like to be on the mountains and praising God, enjoying his presence, and we do, but it's in the valleys and the deep places, the dark places, that God grows us the most. And God's plan means that trials fall on us and we need to learn to trust them. Often as we're going through a difficult space, difficult place, we sense his sustaining presence. But sometimes when we go through our trials, God appears to have abandoned us. And we look around and we can't see God. And do you know, nothing worries Satan more than a Christian who goes through a tough place and feels abandoned by God, yet still chooses to pray, still chooses to read his Bible, or she still chooses to attend church. Satan very much fears a Christian who feels abandoned by God, yet still clings to Jesus. And of course, that's what God wants. And unfortunately, many of us waste that opportunity. So when a difficult patch comes in, we either forget about God and try to deal with ourselves, or we complain to God and say, this is not what we signed up for. (laughs) We thought if we walk with you that it would be times of blessings. We thought it would be answered prayers. Why do we feel abandoned? And so our default is often to waste these opportunities But God uses these trials to bring us closer to him and to refine and build our faith. And this is why we need to learn to consider trials a pure joy. Now, a caution here, we don't thank God for the calamity, for the trial. We don't say, thank you, Lord, for this unexpected death. And we don't say, I'm so thrilled because of this financial reversal. Not at all. What we do say is, Lord, thank you that you are under control. Thank you, Lord, that no matter how difficult it gets, I know that you will never leave me. He is the source of our confidence and joy during trials, and we have a determination to cling to Christ no matter what. And Jesus tells us that these trials will come in many kinds. Now, in the original language, language, kinds means multicolored. Our trials are many colored. Now it has been determined that our human eye can distinguish over a million different hues of color. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Seems right though to use trials as multicolored because there are times when we do think our trials come in a million different types and forms. But God is faithful for every trial, no matter how much we think we're the only one facing it. God is with us. Again, the word face, when we face many trials, in the original language, the word face is fall into. Elsewhere, it's used of the Samaritan traveller who fell into the band of robbers. And it's like this, we feel like that too. When we fall into trials, it's similar to the Samaritan who fell in with the band of robbers. Or now, another caution, we need to note that the trials that we face are not punishments. Many people, many Christians think that when a trial comes their way, actually God's punishing me. And we may even think, oh, it was something that I did or said or something from my past, God has punished me. No, James makes it very clear that these trials are to test us, 
to correct us, to make us stronger, to show us our character, how weak or strong it is, and to make it stronger. Trial comes in to test our faith. How strong is your faith? Is it weak or strong? But the trial, by God's grace, can help it be stronger. It may be that our troubles come because they're our fault. It may be we have made a foolish decision and the consequences are coming our way. It may be that we've sinned and we're suffering from the consequences. But God in his grace can turn that around so instead of that just being a wasted time, it becomes an opportunity for God to mould us and to shape us, to test and refine and to bring us into maturity. And James also tells us that persevering through trials will continue until God's work is finished. And that means we can't rush through these trials. We cannot speed up the process. For Joseph, it was 13 years of being a slave and in prison before he was prime minister. 13 years. And it was another nine years on top of this before he was reconciled with his family. And so we can't rush these trials. It is good and right and proper to pray for the trials and the, and the struggles and the suffering to end. There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, you know, this financial reversal, these difficulty, Lord, please, you know, sort it out. <laughs> you pray that prayer and you work it through, but God's timing is God's timing. And we cannot rush how long it takes us to get through that process. And so, in summary, let us not waste the opportunities that trials bring into our lives. When we go through a difficult time in a relationship or we're grieving the loss or, you know, our children and grandchildren and and we're just so, you know, we're struggling because they are struggling, whatever the trial comes into your life, don't waste it. Don't just try on your own strength. Don't get angry with God and say it's his fault and he should sort it out. Come with a humble attitude and say, Lord, build in me a stronger faith and a stronger character. Do what you need to do. Help me to consider it a joy as you bring me to that state, place where I am complete in you, mature in you, and in you lack nothing. Let's pray.